0: And the scripture is John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it um, it leads us and it guides us and it pierces our hearts and our minds. Thank you that your word is available to us. Lord, Uh, speak through Ryan. May his words fall away and yours stand firm. Will you lead us uh, more and more to your heart to know you better? May your word go forth in power and truth and grace and glory today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Today I wanted to do just a standalone sermon here to talk about the nature of servant leadership in the church. Our vision as a church is this, to live as the family of God together, demonstrating and proclaiming the Gospel of grace to one another in our city. In other words, that's what we're here to do. If that is going well, then we are on mission and we are doing exactly what God has called us to. And a vision is significant um, because it guides you. It keeps you from falling into the traps of, of comparison and competition with other churches and organizations. Whenever this is in focus, we're being who we are created to be as a church. Now, every church has a vision, and every person really has a vision too, whether you know it or not. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's an idea of what it looks like uh, to succeed according to what our worldview is. That's what a vision is. And the vision of New City was forged in the crucible of wrestling through uh, with Jesus and seeking to become a church that not only believes the right things, because there are a lot of churches that believe the right things but a church that lives out of its identity, that behaves by the way that it believes. And, and so that's what we're talking about today. We, we want to we seek Jesus in the ways, not only in the ways that He calls us to believe, but in the, way, in the ways that He calls us to live and behave. And so that's why I want to look at John chapter 13 today. And as another side note, if you're new here, you'll notice that there are a lot of elementary age kids in the room. And that's because our vision is what? to live as the family of God together. And so, very intentionally, once a month, we keep all of our elementary age kids in the room with us because we believe that they are some of the most important members of the family of God. Amen? Yeah, so welcome. Welcome, kids. We're glad to have you here today. So as you turn your Bible to John 13, uh, I'll share a quick story with you that will kind of tee us up here. Uh, When I was an upperclassman in high school, um, one of my mentors... And this guy was like a mentor for like six months of my life. It's crazy how much impact he had on my life. But, but he, he told me as I was uh, preparing to go to college and, uh, and things like that, we're throwing football out in the backyard at my friend's house, and he says, hey, let me tell you three jobs that I think that, that you need to have at some point in your life that will help shape your work ethic and your people skills if God is calling you into the ministry. And I'm like, you know, taking notes, right? Tell me, I'm ready to hear. And, and I was thinking he was going to say like, you know, be a, be a pastoral intern at a church or, you know, make sure you lead worship or this and that. And he said, no, you need to work in a factory. You need to work in manufacturing. Uh, you, need to, you need to work in retail and you need to work in hospitality. Now, by the age of 20, I had already had a fair amount of experience in the first two. believe it or not. Side story, but I, I, I've had uh, over 30 jobs and yeah, I'm only 33. I've had a lot of jobs, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. A lot of experience. Um, but I hadn't had much experience in the hospitality industry. And so uh, for the next several years, I served tables making my way through college. It started in Louisville, Kentucky at Logan's Roadhouse, the place where they invite you to throw peanuts down so guys like me can sweep them up. It's a great, great experience. And so I worked there for a little bit, and then we moved to Las Vegas. I worked at the Cheesecake Factory uh, on Las Vegas Boulevard in Caesar's Palace. And here's, I learned three things predominantly about serving tables that really tie into where we're going today. The first one is this. I'm an unbelievably selfish man. <laughs> I'm unbelievably selfish. I was I was typically only concerned with meeting my quota for tips for the day. And guys, I would do whatever it took to get there. I had money to make, and I was there to make the money, and I was going to make it happen. Uh, <laughs> including, and this is pretty low. Um, I, I used to make up my own specials at the restaurant. I mean, I would add uh, asparagus and grilled shrimp to anything. I'd be like, "Yeah, it's our new special," and it, you know, upcharge ten bucks here and there, and. And I would do whatever it took to make money. It was pretty dirty. So I'm incredibly selfish, the first thing I learned. The second thing is I'm incredibly judgmental. <laughs> uh, and and I would, so I would size people up uh, based on my limited experience in the hospitality industry, whether I wanted their table or not. Uh, and, uh, and, and how each customer might, you know, uh, you know, could either add to or take away from my bottom line in the time that I had. And, and, uh, you know, for instance, when I worked in Las Vegas, if, if you were of European descent, I did not want you. And I'm of European descent, as you can tell. The reason why is because they don't tip. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I don't want you at my table. You know? So I just learned all these lessons about myself. But the most valuable one of all was this one, uh, is that God loves me more than I love myself. And this has a lot to do with how I view my work today. And, and really, what I want to invite you to see how you should view your work as well. God showed me that if I would only go to work and serve as if I'm serving Him, that He would take care of me. But yet, I am so prone to go off and try to take care of myself. And so, what I began to do as I waited tables that last six months is I began to serve as if I were serving Him. John 13, to pick up the servant's towel and to show up for work and to trust God no matter where He'll take me that day. And and what I began to see is that God would surprise me and He'd bring me into relationships with people that I would have never met before. Uh, He would would meet my monetary needs in ways that I never could have imagined before. And my perspective changed that day. And what I want to teach on this morning, church, has profound implications on not just your Sunday life, your life as you come to corporate worship and, and gather together and we sing these amazing songs together and we listen to God's Word and we're changed by it but through your Monday through Saturday life as well. We need help for the 90% of the week, right? We need God's Word and we need God's, God's wisdom and we need God's view on things. And John 13 gives us that. So the big idea that I want you to repeat with me uh, is this. I'll say it and then you'll repeat it with me. The big idea of where we're going is this. The world says you have to serve yourself to save yourself. Jesus says you've been saved to serve. Let's say that together. The world says you have to serve yourself to save yourself. Jesus says you've been saved to serve. So let's dig in here. i got three points. We're going to walk through John 13 together. And the first one is this. It's one of those kind of first things first kinds kinds of things that Jesus talks about. And it's this. The priority of the towel. Meaning this. If Jesus doesn't first wash us, we have no part in His kingdom if we don't first come to Him and receive His love and receive His mercy and receive His grace and let Him cleanse us of our sin, it doesn't matter how well we serve. It doesn't matter how much of our lives we give away. It doesn't matter what people think about how good of a person you are. You're not in the Kingdom of God. That's why it's so important that we get this. Because we're so concerned with what others think about us and how we lead people and how we serve people. But if Jesus hasn't first washed us, we have no part in His kingdom. So let's dig into that a little bit here. The context of this is uh, Jesus finishing up His ministry with His disciples before He goes to be crucified on a Roman cross uh, by those that He came to save. Jesus finished up these three years of miraculous and amazing ministry with his disciples and these guys have followed him everywhere these 12 guys and and the crowd and and, and broader group of disciples as well and they, they've seen things firsthand that no one else in history have seen and heard they have physically walked with God think about that they've made it to Jerusalem for the Passover feast which was one of a few feasts that the Jewish people would celebrate and, and when these folks feasted they feasted. It was a week-long deal of eating and celebrating the goodness of God. And what were they celebrating at the Passover feast? They were celebrating deliverance from bondage to Egyptian slavery. That's what they celebrated. And they remembered and they looked back so that they could live in the present with God. And so that night, uh, Jesus had sent some of his disciples into Jerusalem ahead of him to prepare a place. And what they would have to do is they'd have to rent a room. Because uh, these boys are all from Galilee. They're not from the big city of Jerusalem. And so they go into the city and they rent an upper room which had been kind of like a, an apartment on top of the house. They rented it and it would have come with some basic amenities like a table, um, a, a wash basin, uh, a towel uh, to be able to clean off their feet as they came in so that they could worship together. And, uh, and maybe even some food that they would make preparations for as well. And so they enter into that room and this is where Jesus picks up uh, in John chapter 13. Here's what he says. Now before the Passover feast, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Just to underline that. You're doubting if God's with you, if He sees you, if He's with you. He loved them to the end. As Philippians 1 says, He finishes what He starts. In you and in me and in us. So He loved them to the end. John wanted us to know that as we read this. And here's how he describes it. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, one of His twelve disciples, who was Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and He was going back to God, so it not matter what Judas does, He's going back to God. He rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments and he, he took a towel and he, and he wrapped it around his waist. So think about that. He, he takes off his outer garments. We have no idea how much clothes he has on. Maybe he doesn't have on any. Who knows? But he wraps the towel around his waist and he begins to... What, what, what does the Scripture say? He begins to, to kneel down and wash his disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel. Okay, In order to wipe the, the, the disciples' feet with the towel, he'd have to take the towel off, right? You're getting a picture of the humility of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what He came to do. And the Scriptures go on to say this, And He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. You have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to Him, Lord, not only My feet, but My hands and My head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So Jesus is fully aware of the significance of the Passover feast. And what He's saying is that I'm the one that's come to fulfill what we've been longing for as we celebrate the Passover. He becomes the, the Lamb slain for the sins of the world instead of this this lamb that would have been on the table that would paint a picture of the one that would come. It becomes three-dimensional for these guys. Scriptures say He rose from supper. so Jesus is realizing what's happened. He's realizing what Judas Iscariot's about ready to do. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about that actually today. And uh, everyone's ignoring the elephant in the room. That these guys have come to worship God with dirty feet. I wish my kids would pick up on that at some time. you right? Especially in the summertime. Our feet get really dirty around our house. And so Jesus, everybody's ignoring the the, the elephant in the room. It's kind of like after you've just eaten a great meal at home, right? And uh, you've you've gotten out all the dishes and you've, you know, it's it's just been a feast. Then you get to the end of dinner, and it's like all of a sudden everybody's gotta leave and go somewhere, you know? But the sink is full of what? Dishes. You can't ignore the elephant in the room. It's full of dishes. We all. Hate doing dishes in our house. Maybe you do as well. And if you don't, you're welcome to come over anytime. But Jesus begins to do the lowest thing imaginable. He begins to humble himself and to wash his disciples' feet. They would have been wearing sandals. They would have journeyed, I don't know, like 100 miles from Galilee. It would have been nasty. And Jesus begins to, not only that, but in mid meal, he begins to wash their feet. He stops his meal and he begins to wash their, their feet. Reminds me of what Paul writes about to the Philippian church as he describes the character and nature of Jesus. This is why, Je- In other words, this is why Jesus does what He does in John 13. It's because of this. Philippians 2.5-8. It's a chart. It says, have this mind among yourself which is yours in Christ. In other words, what I'm about to say, you can put this on because you're in Christ Jesus. Here's how it describes Jesus though he was in the form of God, meaning he was deity, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus, in other words, is painting a picture of what He's been doing His entire life with His disciples. Cleansing them, washing their feet, coming to empty Himself of His divinity so that they might experience what it's like to be one with God again. And that's what the Gospel is all about. That's what we see Jesus doing. He's painting this picture for them. It's first a picture to them because they've got to grab onto it before they can ever become those types of servants. He, he In other words, He enters into the mess of what we've become, church. And with His actions, here's what He says intentionally. I'm not above you or what you need. And all of us in this room this morning need to hear that. Jesus did not come to say that He was above us. He came to to bow the knee, to pick up the tongue, to serve us with His entire life. And that's the way that the Gospel advances as we begin to do that. It's interesting, I was looking in Leviticus chapter 8 this week, you know, that part of the Bible that you only go to when it comes up in your yearly plan, you know, uh, Leviticus 8, it's, it's interesting, I'll read it for you quickly, but I want you to notice the parallels of, of basically what happens. Let me, let me read it for us real quick. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull uh, of, of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened red. In other words, there's something big's about to happen. There's, a, there's about to be some kind of celebration, some kind of party that's going on. And what it is, is the ordin, ordination of Aaron and his sons for priestly service. They were intermediaries for God's people. And he says, Assemble all of the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. In other words, get everybody together. Get them all together because something big is about to happen. We're going to do church. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. This is God's idea, not mine. Okay, That's what he's saying. And listen to what happens right here. Before they're ordained, before they're anointed with oil to be commissioned into priestly service. Moses brought Aaron and his sons up on the stage. He doesn't say the stage, but he brought them up in front. He... Wash them with water. Now, he probably did this when they were fully clothed. You think? No. He brought them up on the stage, and they got to be thinking, what have I gotten myself into? You know, I don't know, Moses, if we should do this or not. Brought them up on the stage. They began to strip them down and wash them with water. Why? Because serving God in this capacity is that serious that they needed to show their vulnerability and their brokenness before God and God's people before they could ever lead them. And then after this, he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with a robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. Here's the thing. These priests had to be cleansed. And the interesting thing about what happens is they're stripped down in front of the congregation that they're about to lead. Don't get any ideas. And they wash and His sons to service. When you compare that to what happens with Jesus, Jesus willingly strips Himself down to serve the people of God in vulnerability because it is that important that we be cleansed by the work and life of Jesus Christ. And, and what, what begins to happen after this is that Peter begins to respond as Jesus does this, doesn't He? And Peter says... He's always the first to talk, okay? But Peter responds. And he says, you should never wash my feet, Jesus. Like, I've got this idea of who you are and what you've come to do in this world. And this isn't it. You can't wash my feet, Jesus. And, and, and before you judge Peter too quickly, because I always do, but I'm more like Peter than like any other disciple, I think. Peter is us. We are Peter. Because our tendency is to stiff arm the unmerited grace of God. To say, I don't really need you to do that for me, Jesus. I'm not that dirty. I'm not as bad as Him. I mean, Judas, Jesus, come on. I'm not as bad as Him. I don't need you to wash my feet, Jesus. I don't need you to cleanse me. I just need a little pick-me-up every once in a while. I just need you to help me along when I you know, get into real trouble. But not every day of my life do I need you. Peter lives in each of us. Because here's the deal, Peter only sees dirty feet. He doesn't see dirty hearts. Peter only sees dirty feet, but Jesus sees to the core of our souls that we need Him to wash us clean. And every time that I sin, it is inevitably because I have forgotten that I'm clean in Christ and I went looking for something else. That's, That's the reason why Jesus came. And if we don't get this part of what the Gospel is that Jesus came for sinners like me and you, and He humbled Himself to the point of a servant. He he came in the form of a servant and washed us clean. That's why Jesus came. If we're trying to utilize the work and life and grace of Jesus for anything else, we're missing the point. We're missing the point. Jesus has to cleanse us. And as Megan read Psalm 32 this morning, I just wept. I just wept. Because as I read Psalm 32, let me find it real quick here, that's in the New Testament, right? So I read Psalm 32. I just wept because the core of it, blessed is the one, Psalm 32, 1, blessed is the one whose transgress, transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones Wasted away. Some of us in here are wasting away this morning because we're keeping silent. Because we don't want Jesus to cleanse us. We don't want to have to need Jesus that much. Our bones waste away when we don't run down. And The humble sacrifice of Jesus Christ devastates our self-righteous postures. The ones where we try to look like we have it all together. We try to look like we've got a cleaner record than we really do. We try to look above others. And Jesus Christ came to say, you're all the same. And I came for all of you. And that's the, that's the, the priority of what has to happen for us to be a true servant-hearted, driven uh, by the Gospel kind of church. The second thing is this, is the most troubling of all of what I'm going to say today. It's the warning of the towel. The warning of the towel. And, and here's the warning. That it's entirely possible to serve ourselves while claiming to serve God and others. Entirely possible entirely, I'll say it again, probable that we're going to lean that way. If I'm honest with you, Judas really kept getting in the way of my sermon prep this week. I really wanted to have this really tight and clean sermon where I just talked about Jesus has served us, so let's go serve others. But Judas is all over this passage. I'm like, Jesus, why is he all over this? And then it clicked. Because that's the other side of serving. It's entirely possible to serve God with clean feet and a dirty heart, but look at this. Just listen to the instances of Judas in John thirteen, verse two, verse eleven, verses eighteen through twenty. Here's what the scriptures say: During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, this is John's interpretation of what's happened here. He's pretty bold with that statement, for he knew who was about to betray him. That's why he said, "Not all of you are clean." He says, "I'm not speaking of all of you." I know whom I've chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate My bread has lifted his heel against Me. And I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the One I send receives Me, and whoever receives Me, receives the One who sent Me. This had to be such a shock to the disciples. I mean, Do you realize what's happened here? These guys have journeyed together maybe much longer than three years, some of them. Well, some of them were brothers, so they've been together forever. But one of the guys who's looked the part the entire time is not really one of the disciples of Jesus. It's shocking. I would argue that Judas was probably the chairman of the deacons for the twelve disciples. I mean, think about this. He was the guy, as we see in the Scriptures, that he was the treasurer. Sorry, Art. Look well, at yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was the treasurer, right? And he he kept the money and he dispersed the money and he collected the money and he took care of the things and he had it all together. People would have looked at Judas and said, Man, well, that guy's eager to serve. But the thing that strikes me when I think about Judas is how appalled I am by even the name of Judas. How self-righteous I get when I think about who Judas is and What a terrible person he was. And I forget that Peter lives in me. Well, guess what? Judas lives in me too. And he lives in you as well. If not for the grace of God, let me say it again, we are Judas. That's us. Church every Sunday. Serving as much as we can. Far from God in our hearts. We can be the ones that serve and lead in Jesus' church and never know Jesus' heart. We can be the ones that handle the responsibilities of the church, that church is built on our backs, on our blood, sweat, and literally tears for this church, but never know God. Jesus served the supper to Judas and Jesus washed the feet of Judas and then Judas betrayed Jesus with clean feet, a full belly, and a dirty heart. And that temptation is there for all of us. It's kind of like this. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha and Luke? Uh, chapter 10, where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and just worshiping Him and spending time with Him. But Martha, all she can think about is the kitchen and what's going on in the sink. I identify with Martha, i got to admit. Um, and, and and she's just sitting there and she's, she's missing the better portion as the Scriptures say. And it's because she's resentful because she misses out on worship. Now that's the temptation for us. is to serve God and miss out on worship. Instead of worshiping God through how we serve. Now, I'm not talking about just on Sunday mornings, but we do need help. <laughs> I'm, not talk- I'm talking about as you work, as you go into the office tomorrow morning. Who is it that you ultimately work for? Is it that company that's name is on your paycheck? Or is it Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords that we come to wash feet whatever the company name is today? I think that's the picture that we get. And, and here's one here's of... I'm not saying here, I'm not saying it's possible for us to lose our salvation. But what is possible is to believe that you're saved and never have salvation. Isn't isn't that sobering to think about? This is why it's so dangerous to look at anything that we do or accomplish for God as legitimacy for our relationship with God. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 6 says. One of the most confounding passages in the Scriptures. He says, For it is impossible, key word, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted he, the goodness of the Word, the powers of the age to come, for and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up uh, to contempt. So what the writer of Hebrews describes is what could be interpreted as an evidence of someone who loses their salvation. Uh, Many might put Judas in this category uh, to to kind of clear it up for us. But here's what he says. Here's the key word. He says it's impossible to really be a Christian for that person to fall away and to be restored. Um, That can't happen because Jesus would have to be crucified all over again. It would mean that His first sacrifice was, was not good enough. That it didn't take for you. But he says what is possible is that you think you're a Christian and you fall away. Now the writer uh, describes what a Christian is. He says it's someone who's tasted the heavenly gift. Who's tasted what a relationship with God is really like and his heart has come alive. It's shared in the Holy Spirit. The key right here is this. Tasted the goodness of the Word. Church, have you tasted the goodness of the Word lately? Tasted the goodness of the word. In other words, you hear the scriptures preached, you read the scriptures in your study, and your heart comes alive with this unexpressible, inexpressible joy and compassion and love for God and his people. Tasted the goodness of the word. He says it's impossible for someone who's done that to fall away. But what is possible is for us to look the part the whole time never really taste the goodness of the Word and to fall away because we're never really with Jesus. That's, that's the warning of Judas. And, and Judas is all over the church throughout the world, okay? And, and I want to be the type of pastor that one doesn't assume that I'm not Judas, right? And helps you not to assume the same thing about yourself. Have you tasted the goodness of the Word? Have you come to Jesus in reckless abandonment and let him wash your soul. Or are you just looking for a pick me up? Because Jesus came to wash feet, to clean hearts, and He wants to do it for you, Church. The last thing we see is this right here: is the commission of the towel. This is the thing that we. This is the thing I came to John thirteen with, wanting to say. And it's funny as I've read and studied it. It's the thing I'm going to talk the least about: the commission of the towel. And it's this right here: that power is redefined in Jesus' kingdom. Through sacrifice and service, this is key right here. Verse twelve: When he had washed their feet and put on their outer garments and resumed his place after he, after he'd uh, cleaned their feet and put his clothes back on, and then he just looks at them all point blank and says, "This: Do you understand what I've done to you? Do you get it? You think this is just about feet? Do you understand what I've done for you guys? You call me keyword here, teacher." And Lord, notice how those are capitalized in your Bible? Definite articles in front of those. You call me the teacher. You call me the Lord. You give me this, these positions of reverence and power in your lives and influence in your lives because of what you've seen me do and who you have seen me to be. And he says, you're right. That's what I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, I've humbled myself If I've done that, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant, meaning you, is no greater than his master, meaning me. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. do you have any idea who I am? You you have this idea of what it means for me to have power and authority and influence in your life. Yet, you are ashamed of what I've come to do. And, And we know that we're ashamed of what Jesus has come to do when we don't replicate what He calls us to do. That's when we know that there's shame. That we don't really want that part of Jesus. When we're unwilling to wash the feet of those that will betray us. When we're unwilling to serve those who can give nothing back to us. That's when we know that the heart of Judas is a little alive in us. We don't want to do what the Master has called us to do. He has authority to redefine what the Kingdom is about. That's what Jesus does. And what He says is that the Kingdom of God is about giving yourself away. That you'll never feel more alive in My Kingdom then, when you're serving other people as you worship me, I love what Andy Crouch says about this story and about servanthood and power. Here's what he says: power is not the opposite of servanthood, and pause there we we think it is a lot of times. we're like, oh, that powerful you know that person who has influence and authority, you think well they're they're not over here serving; they shouldn't be they need to be in that role, but rather servanthood is the very purpose of power. You see what Jesus has come to do. He's saying this little foot washing thing here that, I, that I've showed you that you're ashamed of, this is the whole reason you were made. Because you'll never be more alive than when you've got this towel in your hand. My question for us is, are we willing to use our power to pick up the towel and serve? I'm not talking about just for New City Church. I'm talking about for the kingdom of God to advance in our community, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood. Wherever God calls you, are you willing to pick up the towel and serve? And we all have power in this room. We all have influence in this room. Some have more than others. And some are willing to say that there's not even, that's not a thing that the church should ever talk about. But it's something we very much need to talk about. How is it that you. Treat those that you work with, your employees? How is it that you serve those in your household, your family, your friends? How is it that you engage before the face of God in all of your life? You have a towel on your arm as you do that. I want to encourage us as a church to pick up the towel because here's the deal I'll remind you of a big idea. The world says you have to save you serve yourself to save yourself. But Jesus says you've been saved to serve. For us church, if we do this, what will begin to happen in our community is that Jesus will become non-ignorable in our city. People will see that the folks of New City Church have this influence, and it's not through power, it's not through might, but it's through service. And the person in the work of Jesus will be more alive in this community maybe than it's ever been before. That's the opportunity at hand for us. And we're going into this new building and we're, we're right in the, the, the smack dab the middle of Lawrenceville. Right in the middle of Gwinnett County. One of the most influential communities in Atlanta. One of the fastest growing cities in our country. We have this opportunity to make Jesus Christ known through how we serve, because He has served us so deeply. And I pray that's who we become. Let's pray together. Our Father, we we come to You and, and we just lay ourselves before You and ask for You to meet us through Your Word, that we would taste the goodness of Your Word this morning. That we would taste the, the things that we really enjoy and like about it and the the parts that are a little more painful. Lord, Lord, I just pray for for those of us in this room today that that have a little bit more Judas living in us than than maybe we're aware of. God, I I pray that Your kindness would draw us to repentance today in a deep and profound way that we would see and savor Jesus more than we ever have before because of how powerfully He's working in us. And we see the power of Jesus through how He washes and cleanses us. And God, we ask that You would cleanse our hearts anew this morning. Help us to see Jesus for who He is and what He came to do and to extend His kingdom into this world through serving. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.